1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC.
2: Football people who like football. Here come two words for you. Purple Live. Mm. This is Purple Live with Matthew Collar. All right, Purple
3: Live, Matthew Collar, along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin. And a reminder that the Purple Podcast is live here one hour a week, but is a lot more hours on the Purple Podcast feed. So if you like Vikings Talk, go to wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's the little Purple app on your phone or whatever else, and download slash subscribe to the Purple Podcast. We've got a lot to talk about. Eric Edholm from Pro Football Weekly who is uh, in Chicago and follows the Bears. He will talk with us at 6.30 just about the state of the Bears and their recent whooping of the Detroit Lions. The uh, Vikings and Bears have that in common, but we've got a lot to discuss tonight. If you want to chime in with any questions about second half of the season or whatever else it might be, 651-646-8255. 651-646-8255 to... Pose any questions, make any comments, give your hot takes, whatever you want to do. Uh, we will accept those. So, uh, Courtney, you, I, you wanted to start out, you mentioned about Daniel Hunter. And it's something that we've sort of glossed over because he's just Daniel Hunter. Like, he's been good for three years now, three plus, I guess, years. And this defense has so many stars on it that it's very easy to just talk about, like, well, he's great and he's great and he's great. Um, Hunter is really taking it to another level. And I think back to in training camp, George Edwards, who is rarely hyperbolic, if ever saying that he could see Daniel Hunter taking a huge step this year. And at the time you're like a huge step from being awesome already and being like a $70 million player. Yeah he has taken a huge step forward. And that adds another layer now with Everson Griffin coming back to how good this defense can be going down the stretch.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is this is the most critical stretch of their season coming up with four games that will decide their playoff fate more than more than that. And the way Daniil Hunter played in the first nine games of the season and watching what he did even last year coming out of the bye, he was even more effective than he was, you know, after what I think a lot of people want to say was a slow start for him in his third year much more effective coming out of the bye last year. I'm very, very eager to watch what his progression is here over the next seven games of the season. I know I think Bill Barnwell had an article out today thinking that the sack numbers may drop off. And, and that's, you know, we saw that with Everson Griffin last year. I mean, that's not such a wild thing to say. But when you watch how this guy affects the quarterback, the matchups he draws to get Stephen Weatherly when he was in there free, to, to affect the interior of the offensive of the defensive line, given the matchups he draws, he's the number. He, he's the Khalil Mack of this team. He is the guy that wrecks your game plan and causes you to have to redo everything on a Monday. I mean, that's just what it is. Um, and I, I'm really, really intrigued to see where he can go from here because we talk about Daniil and kind of this imaginary ceiling of when he's going to hit it I mean, he's 23 or 24 years old now um and he shortchanged himself by about four million dollars a year given where he signed his contract and when he did it so I mean it's a story I have coming out tomorrow when you just take a look at okay he's living up to that contract and end some and the Vikings have to be so thrilled and by the time of when they got this deal done.
3: What is your take on how the Vikings have been able to manage their cap and get some of these guys signed for less than market value? Even Stefan Diggs. If Stefan Diggs ends this year with, let's just say, 75 catches for 950 yards, and he had hit the free agent market... Is he getting, like, $17 million a year from someone? Considering his efficiency numbers, considering his route-running ability and what he's thought of around the league where teams send Patrick Peterson out to cover him, uh, he would have gotten more than he got. And with Daniel Hunter, it's way more. I mean, you would have been talking pushing $20 million a year
0: for him. I mean, the tag alone would have been upwards of, like, what did DeMarcus Lawrence get? It would have been, like, seventeen point nine, Right.
3: Yeah, I mean, you you'd be talking about a massive, massive deal for someone if he even ends with 16 sacks. But someone that young, that teams are lining up to pay an edge rusher that is now one of the most valuable positions in the league. I might argue it's number two, right behind quarterback. Yeah. And a guy signs his contract for way under. What was it? Seventy million over seventy two over five with forty five.
0: Forty in total guarantees. I mean, he. I understand it. You're 23 years old and it's a smart decision to for your career longevity. If you want to stay here in Minnesota, I know what they sell guys on is we're going to keep this core together. If you guys want to compete for championships and you want to get paid, it might not be the upper, upper, upper echelon of what you could hit if you hit free, what you could get if you hit free agency, but it'd be pretty darn close and they're going to make you a competitive offer. they have him at a point where he's not he's barely scratching the surface of his prime. He's gonna be twenty-eight years old when that deal is up. That to me is just a wild thing to to comprehend, knowing, you know, Everson Griffin is almost thirty. And look at where he really started to take off in his career. The sack numbers and all of that, I mean, Daniil's showing those signs at a much earlier age. I think I mean, this is this is probably going to go down as one of the best moves that they've made in franchise history of especially getting him when they did.
3: so this this also kind of brings me to just how good the Vikings defense is right now. Uh, the way that the Bears whipped the Detroit Lions. I don't think it took much shine off of the Vikings' win because we knew at that time, after watching Matt Patricia melt down like a child in one of his press conferences leading up to that week, that the Lions were just not going to be dialed in. <laughs> that was not; they were <laughs> they not bringing only their trade best. They away their
0: best, like offensive player, too. Yeah, right. Like, I day mean, that. right.
3: We knew that they were just not going to be in great shape when they came in, and that's why the Vikings should have dusted them, and they did. Ten sacks. But I think that there's signs there that should project over to facing better teams. And the Bears will be their first challenge, but then there are a lot more coming. I I do think, though, and it's something you alluded to last hour, the win against Philadelphia looks a lot less great right now. And the other wins are against teams that are just drowning. I mean, Arizona had to fire their offensive coordinator. The Jets lost to Matt Barkley. Matt actual Barkley. He
0: came out of retirement, I believe, for that game.
3: I mean... And not only the win, but 41-10. to And so that win doesn't look any good for the Vikings either. It just looks like your routine victory against a team that's awful. So I'm having trouble figuring out how good the defense, which will ultimately drive the success of this team, how good they actually are. What is your... Opinion on that?
0: Well, I think that we've talked about this. This next four game stretch where you have a surging Mitch Trubisky and a pretty darn good offensive line. I think that the Bears, the way that they addressed it in free agency and with, um, or excuse me, with the draft, um, they have good pieces in place. I mean, I don't think he's ever going to have another six touchdown game like he did in week four um, this season, but he looked really good. He's finally getting, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting the dynamic where it was Cleo Mack as a centerpiece of this team. He's everything. He's, you know, blah, 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 and then he gets hurt, and then there really wasn't much fall-off from Mitch Trubisky coming right in and taking that role from when Khalil Mack injured his ankle to when he came back, and now Mitch Trubisky is kind of the talking point of this Bears team. So, you have a very tough test in a place where you have played not well in the last decade. Um, that's, That's number one, but then I think you really find out where this defense is for real when you have Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, and Russell Wilson, back-to-back-to-back.
3: So let me run through where the teams rank in scoring that the Minnesota Vikings have beat so far this year in offense, their opponents in offense, okay? Detroit is 20th and falling. Philadelphia is 21st. The New York Jets are 23rd, and the Arizona Cardinals are 31st. So they don't have anyone ranked above 20th that they have beaten this year. I mean, the Green Bay Packers, who they tied, are in 13th, but again, they didn't beat them, they they tied them. And so the upcoming opponents, though, this changes quite a bit. You have Chicago, who is 5th, and then New England, who is 7th, and then Green Bay, who is 13th, like, Now we're going to find out that we wrote all the articles and it was fair to do so because they made a lot of changes on defense about how Zimmer was willing to adapt and didn't just stick to his guns and let the ship sink. But I don't think we have our answer yet. And this is the first major test. The fact that the Bears are a top 10 offense, does that like trip you out at all?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's like totally weird. I mean, since when? The fact that the Bears are in first place in the NFC North and that this game alone decides the NFC North um, is a weird thing just because you thought it was going to be a two-team race the entire season between Rodgers and Kirk Cousins and both of those teams, and that Chicago might still be a year away. But then, I mean, everything changed since September 1st or the late wee hours of August 31st. Like, when they got Khalil Mack... I don't think it's an over exaggeration to say that he changed the entire outlook and dynamic of the NFC North.
3: I don't think so. No, what, you're right.
0: It just, you know, to me that was the game changer here. And the fact that of what it did to the Packers, what it did to the Vikings outlook and what it did to the Lions. I mean, watching him chip that tight end the other day and then just go sailing over the offensive tackle onto um, Matthew Stafford was was something. I mean, that's just not human. And when you watch him do that, and I mean, that's going to be something that's going to be interesting to get Kirk's perspective Kirk Cousins' perspective on that tomorrow because they haven't faced a guy like this before, and he is the true definition of a game changer. And I think that that really is why it's so weird that we're talking about this week 10, excuse me, week 11, that the Bears are in first place in the NFC North. It's not just their defense, though. It's also, you know, last few weeks specifically been a product of their offense, which has really never been the case, at least in the last decade there.
3: 651-646-8255 is the number to chime in. It is the Purple Live show. I have a jersey question for you. And also, the Vikings have a new running back. Where does he fit in? But feel free to give us a call, ask questions, bring your hot takes. Go ahead. It's the Purple Live show here on 1500 ESPN
0: potentially be involved in the passing game. I mean he had fifty something catches during his uh four years in Detroit. You know, mm-hmm. he was drafted by them in twenty fifteen. I think it makes the most sense though as a kick returner. I really do, given yep. some of the stuff that they had to deal with, you know, losing Mike Hughes, Holton Hill is playing more on defense. We'll see now after guys get healthy, like what Holton Hill's role becomes in the secondary, but having a guy like Amir Abdullah who led the league in kick return average as a rookie in 2015 and then just kind of Fell off injuries and then, you know, got that bad, you know, kickoff, the fumble earlier. I believe it was week eight, and he got replaced uh, by Powell uh, going into the Vikings game. So he lost his job there. Writing was on the wall. This seems to me like a good place for him to jumpstart his career again. I mean, the guy was a second round pick not that long ago. And I think he might be able to add something here. i you know, the writing was on the wall too, that Rock Thomas was probably going to either go to IR or they were going to release him and try to get him back onto the practice squad. They really like him. So there was no doubt in my mind that he wasn't going to go far.
3: Right. The uh, injuries with Rock Thomas just seemed to pile up this year, even though he's a, a talented player yeah, and it looks very. like next it's- year, that they'll have Thomas and Mike Boone behind Delvin Cook and probably move on from Latavius Murray next sure.
0: Well, I don't know if that's completely done. In my head, yes, logically, cap-wise, probably has to be. But given what happened with Dalvin Cook this year, I mean, you could not ask for a better insurance policy that maybe was a little bit of luck on both sides for getting him to take the pay cut, but... Worked out really, really well the weeks that Dalvin Cook was not around.
3: So here's my Jersey question. I was watching 49ers and Giants last night because it was technically a National Football League game. So I consumed that game. And it was...
1: uh, I'm sorry.
3: Yeah, it was messy, but it was close. So whatever, I got my entertainment value out of it. But the the best value in my mind that 49ers-Giants gave was that the Giants were in their white jerseys and the 49ers had the red tops going and it was just the best matchup in the NFL of jerseys. So if you didn't look directly at the TV and could only kind of see the jerseys or maybe just like took your glasses off or contacts out, it was amazing what was going on there. The football, not so much. But I think for NFC matchups, if the Vikings were to wear all white versus the Bears in their traditional Bear jerseys, that that's elite, and I think the Vikings are going to wear the purple pants, and I hate that. I want them to wear the all-white going to Soldier Field.
0: Because we looked at this, in Bradford, I have a picture of Sam Bradford hobbling off the field last year where he's wearing a white jersey, purple helmet, and the purple pants. So you say you're not a fan of this combination.
3: I don't like the white and the purple pants. I like white and white if they're going on the road. Okay. And, and especially against the Bears with their classic all-time jersey, I think that that is an incredibly awesome jersey matchup. I want the white on white. Manny, what is your opinion?
1: I agree. I Listen, I grew up here in Minnesota in the 90s as a, you know, as a 10-year-old kid in 94 when Warren Moon got here and the Vikings wore on the road they wore white jerseys with white pants and they did that forever until 2013 when they got to this uniform combination which they then inexplicably decided, yeah, purple pants, we'll, we'll make that a thing. I'm just not a fan of the purple pants.
3: Are you okay, pants. Courtney, with the purple pants? Because neither of us are into it.
0: I, I, I'll admit that I'm not really a uniform snob. Like, this is not, you know, in baseball, I think it was one thing growing up, um, just, you know, following a team that had the most classic look, I think, in baseball, uh, with the Cubs pinstripes and the white jerseys. But. You know, in football, I just, I'm a big fan of the classics. Like, I, I loved watching Packers and, and Bears games growing up. Those are the classic jerseys. I mm-hmm, love watching yeah. Cowboys and Redskins because that was a classic look. That's a great one. Um, that's, mm-hmm. Those jerseys are clean. And one mm-hmm. thing I do want to bring up, though, why are the Giants not called America's team? They look like the American flag out there they, last year.
3: So, Washington and Dallas, do, do you like the, like, who's at home for that one? Do you like the white Dallas jersey?
0: No, I like the blue jet Dallas jersey, the white and red pants for the, okay. um, for the Redskins, the Sean Taylor years.
3: Okay, all right. I could buy into that. Washington and Dallas is a phenomenal matchup there. I, NFC South can just be pushed into a lake for the most part. <laughs> I mean, like, the, the Saints all white is pretty pretty nice, but other mm-hmm. than that, and even the NFC West, San Francisco is just running away with that. Although the Rams did kick back to their classics, yes. so I think that they're in pretty good shape. Yes. I just don't know they who did the that. best matchup for the Rams is.
0: Did they not do that during week four? Didn't, isn't that where it started, where they started doing their throwback stuff? Because that's when they were painting yeah. the field out there, too, to have the throwback. I yeah. think that coincided with the jerseys. I
1: think that same week they announced that they were going to wear their classic All season long. Yellow, okay. yellow and blue right, jerseys right. at the, home for the, the rest lighter of the
3: year. Right. Isn't it the lighter blue now? Yeah, for the Rams? it's like
1: the, the royal blue kind of that they wear now. Yeah.
3: Okay. So I I guess I'm going to need some opinions on this. six five one six four six eight two five five or Twitter at Matthew Collar, whatever yours is, Courtney. Is it, what, Courtney Cronin, ESPN?
0: My Twitter? You don't, you've don't. you known me for two years. Yeah, don't I don't know. know. It just handle? it just pops up when you just
3: type the letter C for me. So, I don't know. What I, is it?
0: It's Courtney R. Cronin. Oh, okay. He, uh, he just forgot on this. I'm honestly insulted. Purple pants.
3: Like, are you against the purple pants? Do you want him to bring back the white and white for this week's game? The other, I think they should.
0: The other one that we were talking about, because we were just looking at the graphic, what about the all purple? When, and you said the last time they did this was the color rush, 2016. Oh, I got a pass
3: are, on the color rush.
1: Yeah, some
0: of them are okay.
1: They've, but see, the Vikings of a few times even before the color rush was even a thing. Like they, they had a couple times where they would wear, even back in the uh, the Brad Childress jerseys that I call them because they switched to those with the purple stripe down the side. Yeah, Manny, I want to show you,
0: Manny. Can you see this back in the uh, what on the far right? Is that that's not color color. rush? Yeah, that was a color
1: rush rush when Dallas when. But they they got
0: the stripe on the side, so wouldn't that be the ones that you're talking about?
1: Uh well for the color rush yeah but if you go back to uh, I'm trying to think of a game okay Courtney look up Vikings Cardinals 2010 okay. And collar, you, you're laughing because I'm such a nerd for right, remembering just you, this. You remember See, I'm not a jersey stuff, but I, yeah. I can
0: appreciate this stuff. This is good. I like I like the boldness of the letters here the and reason, the numbers. The, so,
1: the reason why I remember that game because that was Brad Childress's last win as Vikings coach.
0: I did. You just remember the jersey from that. Yeah, and they I were wearing all purple. I wasn't
3: completely against the color rush, just for like a one year sort of special, like weird, unique jersey for that one Thursday night. And and Thursday night is goofball enough. Yeah. You know, right. Like, I still can never get used to it. I, what ends up happening to me on Thursday nights is I I sit down. And I'm like, oh man, there's nothing on tonight. Oh, a football. Right. Like, unless the Vikings are playing, I am always surprised at a Thursday night because I've just never gotten used to it. So if it's already going to be a gimmick anyway, then use the gimmick Color Rush. But. Uh, I don't. I don't like purple on purple in general. Do you have a picture of that?
0: Yeah, I do. Let me see the one that he's talking about from 2010. Yes, those. So the okay. far views. Yes, so this yes. Would have been. Yes, like
3: I remember those now. This those.
0: this to me reminds me of every picture that I've seen on every Vikings book I bought before I joined the yes. beat. Just kind of that classic look. Did you? like Why did they get away I, from that? I, I was
1: not a fan. of those. I wasn't
3: a fan of the early APs.
0: I don't know. I love the boldness of those like letters and the, okay. and the name on the back of the jersey and the numbers. The block, the blockiness of it just gets to me. I like it
3: more than purple pants and white jersey. I just don't like that combination. On the road <laughs> at Chicago. I think it's a losing combination, my friends. Let's, well, uh, they won
0: in it last year, so... <sighs> I'm, just, I'm just pointing out the facts here. <laughs> this is the semantics Let's, hour. Let's
3: uh, see what uh, Mike in, in St. Paul thinks. What's up, Mike?
0: Hi.
2: Uh, hi. First of all, the Vikings should lose the dull purple helmets,
3: okay, yeah, I'm with you on that
2: let's have a let's have a match and the, and the only year i am old, so the only year the Vikings ever wore purple pants, I think was nineteen sixty four for the whole year yeah, I think they 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 wore purple pants and purple jerseys, and if you remember, I don't know how old you guys are, but the road jer- the white road jerseys had different striping, they kind of had. The Baltimore Colts striping around the shoulder and under the arm, and then the mm-hmm. home jerseys would be the just around the around the bicep. Do you remember yep. that? Yep, I do. Yep. They should go back to that.
3: So, do you like what what I'm throwing out there? Just the white on white versus Chicago. Just just like for this week, even if they want to stick with the purple pants everywhere else, they can, they can go play the Jets and the purple pants is fine. But this game is this game is big. This is too big for purple
2: pants. <laughs> When they play the traditional teams like Chicago and Green Bay, they should wear traditional uniforms.
0: I I, I agree with that. This yep. is the oldest division, right, in the NFL. Right. These are some of the most storied mm-hmm. teams. I'm all about the history element there. That,
3: that's a great thought, Mike. Mike, uh, let me ask you: How are you feeling about this? How are you feeling about this game against the Bears?
2: I I think the Vikings should win. I can't. I I I got to think that the Vikings' defense should rub off. Uh, Travisky is that his name? Yep, yes, that, that right. is his
3: name. That's correct.
2: I think they'll rough him up.
3: You know what? I think so, too, Mike. I really appreciate the call. Thank you. Um, so we're going to talk to Eric Edholm next. Yes. Your your thought, your reaction.
0: I just wanted to talk about one thing, um, just with the jerseys. Because I said I'm kind of, you know, yeah, this, yeah. I'm a Are you, me- like,
3: as we speak, becoming a jersey snob? Like, no, you just not I love helmets,
0: though. So I'm one of these gimmicky people who loves the crazy college football Helmets where they go chrome. I'm not. I don't need to be Oregon. I don't need 20 different helmets.
3: So you're into that though. But
0: when I covered Indiana, they did, for for I believe it was the 2011 season, they did these chrome candy striped helmets that were unbelievable, and. Those have stuck with me ever since. I think I remember those. Uh, those are those are fire. Those are just unbelievable. And I, when I covered Ole Miss, people would go berserk for these powder blue helmets. Like it was mm. a big deal. Um because that brought them back to the Eli Manning days. And I can I can respect things like that, but that to me is just more that's that's my realm. I'll, I'll just stay over here in my corner. Okay, talking so you about like, helmets you
3: like the uh, I like chrome,
0: I like Matt, I like it all.
3: So we could call you like Courtney Crowman.
0: <laughs> hey, that's a good
3: one. Am I? Okay. We, we should that's, break here. That's this is a terrible. Time to go to break. Uh, well, so Mike from St. Paul thinks that the Vikings are going to rough up Mitch Trubisky, which I think is a very real possibility. But we're going to talk with Eric Edholm from Pro Football Weekly, who lives in Chicago, sees a lot of the Bears, and get his take on this game, which will be one of the biggest of the week. It's Purple Live, Matthew Collar and Courtney Cronin. Is an incredible matchup, and the Vikings should go all white. I, I like it.
4: I, you know, I went to the University of Missouri and they went all white once and I went, whoa, like that was a shock, you know, and sometimes the, the right color combination, I, I can get behind that if, if the the lettering and the coloring is, is right, but sometimes the monochromatic thing can, can, can work against you too.
3: Yeah, I th- it's just I don't like the purple pants to go along with the okay. white for the Vikings. I think that's that's where the holdup is for me. Uh, I don't really like when they go purple on purple either. But the white right. on white sort of reminds me of like the uh, the Warren Moon days a little bit from when I was growing up. Though yeah. that was, I, I thought that those matchups in Soldier Field were awesome with them and the Bears for jerseys.
4: Yeah, no, I think you're onto something there.
0: I'm not a huge fan of the Bears'
4: orange jersey. That, you know, that was I, what I
0: was going to ask about those yeah. orange ones. Those are awful. I mean,
4: I I get it. I kind of understand it a little, but like I see them and I just go, yeah, not my thing. I I didn't grow up in Chicago, but I had family here, so I've been watching the Bears for a little while in my in my life. And you know, uh, the the classic Bears uniform is pretty hard to beat. I think if, if you're you know, if you're being objective about these things. So
3: should we be like Mike Gundy and like blame generation Z for, uh, the <laughs> liberalism orange? is that's the other one. The, yeah. That's what it is. The snowflakes caused Snowflake. us to have orange jerseys for the bears.
4: They they're entitled, right? They can <laughs> ask for whatever color they want. And <laughs> they get it, right? That's the deal.
0: Okay. Eric, Back in his
3: day. Here's what I'm thinking about this football game. And I could talk jerseys all day. So we have to sure. move on. Um, I feel like it's a prove-it bull for these two teams, because if you look at who they've beaten, it's really not an impressive list. I went through the toughest offense that the Vikings have beaten this year, ranks 20th. So, of course, their defense is looking better, but they really haven't beaten anyone with a good offense. Chicago has a good offense. How are you looking at it? Yeah, I
4: think the the combined record of the teams the Bears have beaten is like 8-38 and or something. <laughs> You know, and, you know, they faced the Detroit Lions team last week. It was so strange coming into the game, and I thought it might have been relatively close because the three losses the Bears had were the three teams that the Lions beat. You know, it was the uh, Patriots, Dolphins, and uh, who am I forgetting? What was the other one? You know, I don't remember. But, you know, it was so strange to sort of think of it in those terms. And, you know, I think they're a better team than that number suggests the Miami game is probably one. I mean, we're still talking about a 5 and 5 football team, but that's the one that kind of got away from. I think you're right. I still think they're looking for that signature victory, and I think you could probably say the same about the Vikings. So, yeah, absolutely a prove it game. You know, and and it's the biggest division primetime game in probably 5 years. Probably since that week 17 game where they Lost the division to uh, Aaron Rodgers and Randall Cobb, and uh, you know that that play in the fourth quarter there. So that was that was five years ago. This team has lost ten or more games each of the last four seasons. Not even the Cleveland Browns have done that. So kind of puts some perspective. I think Bears fans are finally embracing the fact that they have a a pretty good uh, b- ball club here this year.
0: Matt and I were talking about this. I think in an earlier segment that. You know, it's been a while, I don't even know if we can think of it, the last time they were top five in scoring. And when you take a look at what happened, Mack goes down, there's, you know, with the ankle injury and it's, there really wasn't any sort of letdown or space between where the identity all of a sudden shifted to, you know, from Mack as the centerpiece of this team to Mitchell Trubisky in this surge over the last three games ever since that win over the Jets. What to you has really stood out in allowing him to kind of take this proverbial next step that seems so up and down in the early part of the season.
4: I think you're right. You know, one of the things that Matt Nagy's talked about a lot is, you know, early, you know, in OTAs, they threw the kitchen sink at Trubisky on purpose. It wasn't just like, well, we're installing an offense. We got to get everything in. I think part of it was, let's see how much you can handle and let's put in stuff now, meaning June or whatever. And let's see if he can retain it. Let's see if when we come back for training camp, he still got it down. I think they were impressed with his retention. But I think still there was some processing going on where you saw him kind of, the gears kind of churning a little bit. You could see some of the hesitancy in early, early in games. They had a lot of adjustments to some of these plays. But, you know, they may use the same four or five personnel packages over and over. But the formations were wildly variant. So, that to me, I think, was part of the reason why there was some early hesitancy, him looking a little unsure, him kind of not knowing when to pull it and run, you know, when to throw it away, when to go to a second or third read, that sort of stuff. But it's become a lot more smooth. Now, granted, we're not talking about, you know, they haven't played, you know, some really good defenses lately. I think the Bills are pretty good, though. He had some trouble in that game, but. He made a throw on third down to Trey Burton that made me think he's taking risks that a he certainly didn't even get the chance to take last year and b risks that he seemed a little hesitant about taking, you know, weeks 1 through 3, let's
2: say.
3: When it comes to Matt Nagy, I'm sort of laughing at the two coaches in the division, the new ones named Matt, and how one is going completely in the dumpster and being lit on fire and yelling at reporters for their posture and his team is collapsing around him. And the other one, it seems, is thriving in Matt Nagy. And I, I feel like, Eric, and I know that Mike Zimmer's talked about this, It's very difficult for new coaches to step right in if they haven't gone through this. No matter whose coaching tree they're coming from, what do you think he has done well? What do you think he still needs to work on?
4: Yeah, I mean, I was really impressed, first of all, when he hired his staff. I mean, that was the biggest thing. He surrounded himself with experienced guys. First of all, Vic Fangio, the defensive coordinator, interviewed for the head coaching job. He agreed to come back, you know we're talking about a 20 year difference between the two guys. So obviously Sean McVay and Wade Phillips have made that work just beautifully, I think. But there are still some cases where you have a veteran coordinator who feels like he might have been the, you know, the more experienced guy, the more ready guy to be a head coach, and the young hotshot head coach, the guy who gets the job. And there's a little hidden tension I've sensed none of that. I've never felt that Vic feels like, you know, that this guy shouldn't get the job. I think he's been quietly impressed with the way he's handled things. There was some, some controversy after the Miami game, how he called that, and you know a few plays in the Patriots game where I think people were sort of second-guessing him, and I think there were people who felt like, yeah, he's just a Mitch apologist, and he's going out of his way to protect the kid. It's almost babying him. He's, he's Mike Gundy-ing him if you want to go there, but <laughs> I feel like there's some, some real honest-to-goodness coaching in him where... You know, he's not babying these guys. He's not overly protecting everybody. And and is he going to call them out in front of the media? No. But I think he's done a really good job of kind of balancing things. Remember, he's calling plays. He's, you know, looking over the defense as best as he can, even though that's Vic's baby. He's managing a locker room. They've added a lot of good dudes. I think they have kind of done a good job, Ryan Paces, of cleaning up the locker room a little bit. So it's all come together pretty nicely. He'll hit a bumpy road at some point, but – He's really done a good job of kind of compartmentalizing all this stuff.
0: Eric, I was trying to, um, or I was going to try to channel uh, some of the types of conversations that I heard on Chicago radio during the bye week uh, when I was home. And uh, I don't have a Joliet accent, so I guess we're just going to have to leave it there. <laughs> but I'm just going to ask it in the way that I would hear it ask, What the heck's going on in the fourth quarter with this team?
4: Yeah, well, I mean, obviously... It's not a perfect operation yet, and you still see see them let teams get back into games and you still see them you know give up some big plays and obviously the Green Bay game first one i mean boom that's a game they should win and and a lot of first year head coaches might have really taken that one hard um there have been situations where they've failed to put people away. I think that's still they're still learning to be that that kind of team with a killer instinct, I think, I think that's still lacking. They haven't really found a role for Jordan Howard. I mean, he was kind of their four minute back, but you know, I mean, the guy had like six carries heading into the fourth quarter, I think on, on Sunday. And it was a little surprising, like Taquan Mizell got a carry before Howard did. It was just like, Hmm. So some of that is identity. Some of it is personnel, you know, I think they still have to get that killer instinct before we consider them a great team. And I think that's part of it. But, you know, I think a lot of it too was they kind of went into a little bit of a shell defensively and just started letting the Lions, you know, throw short and throw, you know, beneath the sticks and try to tackle them that sort of thing. So, it's it's still not a four quarter team yet. I think that's that's one thing we have to point out.
3: Purple Live show with Matthew Collar and Courtney Cronin. Eric Edholm is joining us now from Pro Football Weekly. Well, Eric, you cover more than uh, just the Bears, but the entire National Football League of Football. So what has been your take on Kirk Cousins and how it's worked out? Because it's it's, when they say week-to-week league, they mean for us too, right? Because two weeks ago or three weeks ago when they lose to New Orleans, it's... Kirk isn't worth the money, and then they smoke the Lions, and they're right in position to just go to the playoffs if they can get a win here. And then, even, I mean, the wild card situation is set up well for them. What is your perspective on how Cousins has performed as a Minnesota Viking so far?
4: Uh, You know, I, I think you have to point out the negatives, which to me would be the fumbles. I think that's the thing that. You know, you, you look at it and you say, yeah, he's got to clean that up. That's going to be a point of emphasis around how it's all this week. We're going to try to strip the ball loose. They've been a better playmaking defense than we've seen in about five years here. But still, other than that, I think he's been great. And maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm missing something, some little subtlety about his game that isn't there. But, you know, he's helped turn Adam Thielen into a, a premier receiver. Stepon Diggs is still dangerous. They've done it without a consistent run game or at least consistent personnel there in terms of knowing who they have week to week. Offensive line, we know the situation there. Obviously, having to put some spare parts in there as well. Brand new coordinator, new to the team, new to him. I mean, the whole thing. And you know, I mean, John D. Filippo might be the, ne- the next Matt Nagy, but still, you got to make it all work. And you have to develop that trust. And to me, rose-colored glasses, I think it's been pretty darn good. Now, anytime you have a player who's taking up that big a chunk of the salary cap, I think it's fine if you want to say hey, it's not just about being good. He's got to be special because, you know, you're in theory, you're taking money away from potential other additions. But still, with the defense seemingly back on track, Cousins doing what he's saying, I mean, tell me I'm wrong. I don't know. I, I think he's been pretty great.
3: So you know what's interesting to me, Eric, is that they rank 23rd in the percentage of drives that they've scored on, and that's not yeah. all missed kicks. And so – there's a little bit of he's put up big numbers as he's always done but there have been situational football things it would it'd be like you, ha- you have to sort of go through and sift through the third downs in New York and and yeah. not really finishing teams off at times and so I kind of go back and forth because you know his pro football focus grades are really good and, and the, there are some throws that he makes that are just outstanding A plus throws and then there's the other part of the situations the fumbles some of the turnovers and, and, and i think what you come away with is that we've undergone the full kirk cousins experience right. that washington went through only this team has a defense
4: yeah no i think that's a fair point and and you know i i love those guys at pff i'm friends with a lot of them and the one thing that i kind of jokingly needle them about is that you know you guys meaning pff doesn't they treat a, a play in the middle of the first quarter the same as they do in the fourth you know with two minutes left and to me there's there's obviously a difference if it's a close game they're going for a winning drive or trying to salt the game away those plays to me matter a little bit more so the numbers can tell you one story the eye test can tell you something else Mm -hmm. and you know I mean obviously there was that the late stretch in, in week one against San Francisco I thought he looked horrible you know it was like what happened to him. he was great he was in rhythm and then it just fell apart so I think there probably is some truth to that and and I also feel like talking to some Redskins people about Kirk over the last couple years, and I know some folks in that team, and, you know, the things they told me three years ago were different from what they told me after he left. So I feel like there was a little bit of that accentuating the bad stuff and and conveniently kind of forgetting some of the good. But I think you make a fair point.
0: Okay. So when do you take this team for real? Like, I mean, if you're not there yet— What what is it about the Chicago Bears team, and whether this defense could they actually be you know the twenty seven the twenty seventeen version of the Rams? We hear about the Mitch Trubisky uh, comparison with Jared Goff, and obviously this defense is still the centerpiece of this team, given the remaining schedule. And yes, it is easier than the Vikings. I mean, if they if they do continue on this trajectory, the NFC North is theirs. Are you bought in yet, or what more do you need to see in order to be bought in?
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, the one thing about watching the game against the Patriots, and I'm not ready to say the Patriots are the, you know, the favorites or anything like that, but even though the Bears led in that game and came back from an early deficit, I never felt like they were going to win it. I know that sounds a little strange to say, but it always felt like New England was a couple steps ahead of them. And... There have been some strange special teams breakdowns with the Bears this year. I think they have good players for those units for the most part. They have two good coordinators, uh, Chris Saber and Brock Oliva, who do a nice job with that group. But there's still at least always one or two breakdowns there. And it feels like, you know, those are the kind of little subtle differences that prevent you from being a great team. So while the numbers on offense are clearly improving, while the the defense looks to be pretty darn good, all things considered with Mac back and, you know, a really nice unit. I mean, the depths may be just okay, but the starters look really, really good to me. I think they have to win this game Sunday night against uh, the Minnesota. You know, they don't have to beat the Rams in, in three or four weeks for me to feel like this is a, a legit team. But they probably have to come back and beat the Packers the week after that. And, and at that point, if they've done that and they're on track to win 10 or 11 games, then I can say, you know what, this is a sneaky, dangerous team. I also think the Vikings right now are probably a little bit more of a sure bet than the Bears, but maybe that's you know, recent history or bias in some other way that's kind of clouding my judgment. I just, If I had to choose one of the two teams to, to be the better team down the stretch, I would probably lean Minnesota experience, talent, whatever you want to say. But this Bears team—I mean, they're—they're they're better than I thought they'd be at this point.
3: Eric Edholm, Pro Football Weekly. You can follow him on Twitter at Eric underscore Edholm, which the underscore always tells you how long you've been on Twitter. Eric, <laughs> That's right? Like, if, if you've got one of those still, then you were on like way back when. So uh, I know. Congratulations you, on that.
4: If you look at my name, though, it looks like E Rice Deholm. It would—it <laughs> looks so weird without the little separator there. So. It's both of those things combined, I think.
3: Uh, that's a fair explanation. I'm still strongly against it, but it says <laughs> join 2009, so like...
0: That was the year that it really popped off. Oh, I joined, yeah. I joined I, in 2009. I think that's join, when, when I got on
4: board, too. Just, Don't you wish you could go back and change it a little bit? Like, if I never got on Twitter, what would my life be? Oh,
3: yeah. I, I would I, just I,
0: wish I could go back to 2009. I know.
3: <laughs> that was just... Uh, you would have been following Judd Zolgad and the uh, Brett Favre stuff going oh. on. That's That's why you'd have to get on Twitter, then.
4: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, Judd and I go way back too, and then he helped me out back in the day with a few things. And I feel like I probably owe him about nine beers at this point for everything he did for me back in the day.
3: And he'll drink them all at once. Um, and right, <laughs> if you ever if you ever have time, this is hilarious. We did this yeah. on the air once. Search the hashtag stribvikes and it's all Judd's old tweets from like 2000. <laughs> so we were looking up John David Booty like updates from training camp with oh, hashtag no. #StripVikes. So. Give give that a try if you're not busy or you've put the kids to bed and you really want to turn up the heat. Uh, then or I've had backs.
4: nine beers. And yeah, I or, that's right. That's do. right,
3: uh, Eric. Awesome stuff, man. Appreciate it all the time. Thanks for coming on. Had a good time. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's uh, Eric Edholm from uh, Pro Football Weekly. We'll take a break, man. He's got three things to ask us about that we're looking forward to this week when we come back.
0: I'm Gonna need to get them some help.
3: And you noticed you mentioned the clip that went around Twitter, but. The Lions, they tried to put a tight end on him. Yeah. It just didn't matter. He just threw the tight end aside. Max
0: protecting doesn't work against Khalil <laughs> Mack.
3: It really doesn't. And I, I don't have a good answer for you. The only thing I can say is, like, bootlegs left, like, away from him. Just trying anything possible that's going the other way. The fact that he got, like, a rest week last week because mm-hmm. they were playing Buffalo helps him even more. And that's—wait, uh wait, no— He came back last week against the Lions, but he got that rest week against Buffalo two weeks ago. So that helps him get fully back to 100%, and they're in really tough shape here. Brian O'Neill is going to have a huge challenge on that side.
1: All right. We only have one. We only have time for one more question because we're going to be done in about a minute. But uh, how do the Vikings make Mitch Trubisky as uncomfortable as possible?
3: The Beelitz. He is uh, one of the worst graded quarterbacks by PFF against the Blitz and Mike Zimmer has been blitzing the heck out of inexperienced quarterbacks
0: yeah I mean there's he's been sacked 18 times this year which is actually towards the bottom. Um, of all, you know, qualifying quarterbacks this year, I think that you can kind of take that same strategy too that they had with, you know, Daniel Hunter and kind of that rotation that we finally really saw come to fruition against the Lions. You're probably able to replicate that. I know they ran hurry up, which was kind of weird. Yeah. Um, That first series, and I think it actually continued on throughout the game, where they were running some hurry-up, they're probably going to try to do that to prevent what the Vikings are going to do with subbing guys in. For more of this
3: footballing, subscribe to the Purple Podcast on whatever thing you use to subscribe to podcasts, and we will catch you again on Purple Live.
0: The South Dakota Stories, Volume 1.
3: She was a city girl, but always somewhere else in her head. Somewhere where bison
4: roam, rivers flow, and people get their hiking boots dirty. Like, actually dirty.
3: So one day she fled west and discovered this place of beauty, history, and a delicious taste of adventure. But before she knew it, she was driving away with memories to share and the hopes of returning. Because there's so much
1: South Dakota. So little time.